So now we're going into our plenary session and it's a delight and uh, an honor to be able to introduce to you my dear friend, uh, Yvonne Restrepo. I wanna give you a little bit of a bio about who you're about to, to hear. Uh, Yvonne Restrepo has a health educator, bachelor's degree, and she is a certified health, life and mental health coach, as well as a coach trainer. She has been an educator for over 25 years. She has two daughters, Alejandra, 23, a Heartland uh, alumni, and Nelsie, 13. She is married to Norbert Restrepo, and her passion is to help people find their purpose, their life purpose, and an identity in Christ. Today, you're going to be hearing fear of not being understood or accepted. And I think that especially in the day and the culture in which we're living today, that that's a profound issue that we're dealing with. Harrison, would you bring Yvonne in if she's available? I just want to I just want to see your face, Yvonne. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Thank you. I want to make a confession. And well, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll leave the confession for tonight when, <laughs> when I bring in Carol uh, to do her, her testimony time. And maybe if you're available, we can bring you in there because I think that what we're about to hear today, not only through your plenary session, but also in the uh, the workshops, are some really profound truths that blew me away um, as we have developed our friendship, Yvonne, over the last year. So I, I just wanna say a prayer for you and then I wanna hand it over to you and I know that God is gonna do amazing things through you. Yeah, thank you, let's pray. Father, we um, ask again for your Holy Spirit that you give so liberally to those who ask. We come humbly, Lord, asking to be a receptacle that you can use to communicate to us your perfect love and in such a way, Lord, that we can find meaning and purpose. And as Yvonne has illustrated to me, that when you deal with the roots, how it affects the fruit. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower her today and that you would touch all of us that are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Yvonne. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. It's a privilege for me to be here today. Um, I need to confess, Michael didn't want to share his confession, but I want to confess that one of the most beautiful topics, every topic in the Bible is amazing, is powerful, is God-given. But how to receive a godly identity was a mysterious to me. And God used Michael Carduce in one of his presentations for me to finally do the click on how to how is that you receive a biblical identity. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because this series of topics, uh, we have this plenary session now, followed by workshops. Um, I, I've been praying for the Lord to really work and show us how is that we receive identity in the midst of so many fears uh, in regards to ourselves, in regards to our surroundings today in this world? And how does it affect really for us to really find identity, purpose, mission? Um, uh, I once again want to thank Michael for his introduction. Um, the reason why I'm sharing these topics today is because God led me to a very particular situation eight years ago when I received a call to work in the maximum security prison of Virginia. Uh, that prison is called Fluvana. Uh, that's a woman's prison. And I received a call to go with a group of students to start giving Bible studies, um, not only Bible studies, but teaching about health and mental health. And I accepted the challenge. The, um, the statistics show that 98% of women who were inmates in Fluvana prison had participated or were active in homosexuality. Those were the statistics. Before going there, I said, Lord, what can I do? I mean, how can, uh, how are we going to teach you know, these inmates that have to be 30, 40, 50, 60 years in prison. And how are we going to handle the issue of same-sex sex attraction? And the Lord took me there for a reason. And the reason was to teach me how to deal with human hearts. And for seven years, I was teaching in, in this prison. And I just thank the Lord for the wonderful opportunity that took me 
to get to know people, to get to know hearts, to get to know what is the real cause of pain in every human heart. And uh, as Michael said, we will, we're going to be talking about root and fruit in the first workshop. So I hope you don't miss it. And um, But why am I sharing this? I found out that working seven, eight years in Fluvana uh, with this woman that had been there, I mean, the maximum security prison have people who, who stays there for five, 10 years and up. And working there, I found something amazing that the same reasons why they have so much trouble sometimes to sleep tonight is the same, are the same reasons why a Muslim woman cannot sleep. Because I'm also working with Muslim community, Muslim women in Muslim countries through health coaching. And those reasons that don't allow the women here in Virginia in the maximum security prison don't sleep is the same, are the same reasons uh, a Muslim woman cannot sleep, but are the same reasons a Christian father cannot sleep. It's the same reason a Christian mother cannot sleep. It's the same reason an Adventist mother or father cannot sleep. It's the same reason a secular person is suffering and maybe cannot sleep at night. It's the same reason for everybody. And because there's one thing that makes the link for all of us to be together in one aspect, and that aspect is humanity. So if I work with the uh, LGBT community, if I work with um, Muslim women, if I work with inmates in prison, and if I work with Adventist women, there's something that connects us, and it's our humanity, our fears, our pain. Our, those are the things where I can see a common denominator. No matter uh, religion, no matter race, no matter age, when I talk to young people, when I hear them, it's are exactly the same reasons, but they are expressed in different ways. So the expression changes, but the root is the same. And that gives me hope. The hope that in our humanity, we can help each other. That in our humanity, there is something rich that Jesus and God wants to take advantage of to manifest his glory. So I pray that this session and the coming workshops help us to understand the same things. I became, once being seven years in prison, I became very good friends with many women there. There is still some of them writing, um, seeing baptisms. Because once we got together in a relationship, once the barrier of um, gender ideology, once the barrier of religion, once the barrier of age was trespassed and I can connect with them, the humanity, that we are humans, that we are sisters, that, that we can might suffer for the same things, they were open to receive and I was open personally to learn, to connect and to love. And that makes the difference. So I pray that as we share uh, these things that are going to be many stories, probably you won't remember many things shared today, but you won't forget the stories. So, so we will begin by identity, by humanistic, and, and we will see the biblical identity. It's really important that we might begin from here. Today that we hear so much talking about identity and the rights that we have to choose whatever we want to be, uh, let, we are going to see the contrast, contrast and, see, and see the reality of it. Let us, let us begin by saying just, just a very simple definition of identity. Identity is who a person is. Understanding the process behind of the formation of self. And we can see that in the next slide. Okay. But that's, that's the general common definition. But I love identity. People might say identity is who I am. But I want to take it to the next level. Identity is who a person believes he or she is. That gives room that if I believe I am something, maybe I'm not. Mm? Identity is who a person believes he or she is. 
continue elaborating and we will see different aspects of this functional humanistic identity. And we are going to see the contrast between the biblical identity and we can go to the next slide. So we will see and, and that's the workshops. We're going to elaborate it, each one of us, so we can identify where we are at. Sin is a trauma. Sin is a wound that occurred into the Bible all of us have gone through and are in, right? So when we talk about this functional humanistic identity, that's the result of sin. That's the result of the sin that was committed against me, against my will. And now is the sin that, as a result, I'm doing to others. And um, that's that gives a dysfunctional humanistic identity. So I'm not talking here. I'm talking about the aspect where all of us are linked together in humanity, regardless of, as I mentioned before, culture, religion, gender ideology, age, race. So this dysfunctional humanistic identity might reach you wherever you are, just because, just because of sin. So let's describe some of the dysfunctional humanistic identities. And as I said, and we will elaborate more uh, in the workshops. Who I am is based on performance. This is a dysfunctional humanistic identity. What does it mean? That I must meet center certain standards in order to feel okay about myself. The identity that is based on, I need to do things, I need to work on things in order to feel okay about myself. Performance, I need, I need to work out every time something. Standards, meeting standards, meeting standards to finally, to finally feel okay and others feel okay with me. That's uh, a dysfunctional humanistic identity. If you want to know more, as I said, don't miss the workshops. We're going to be seeing also another aspect of another characteristic of dysfunctional humanistic identity is who I am is based on earning the approval of others, which takes us to the fear of rejection. So if I got the approval of others and they tell me that's good, move forward, we are with you here, which which we are social beings. We need community. We need dependence. But here we're talking about codependency and we will elaborate more on that. And we'll see uh, here how the case of Peter in, in the previous uh, slide, we could see um, the case of Martha and Mary. In, in regards to performance-based uh, identity. But right here, who am I, who I am, is based on earning the approval of others. And that fear of rejection will come. We will see the contrast between Peter in the moment when Peter had to, a crisis. A crisis brings the real identity that you got inside. If we are hold back by social, you know, social strings or something, crises develop character. I'm sorry, crises manifest character. So we can see it in Peter. In Peter, when the crisis came, that Jesus Christ was about to die, and he was faced with, you are one of them. What did Peter do? Hmm? In contrast, we will see Daniel, which was, he was facing circumstances, his identity based on something different than himself showed up. And we can see all of us can be encouraged every time we see and read and study uh, the, um, the stories of Daniel and the amazing influence when we see someone whose identity is based on God. So that's the other type of uh, dysfunctional humanistic identity. And we are seeing another one. Another humanistic identity is fear of condemnation, fear of not being understood or accepted. We will see each one of them in the workshops. We will see the emotional indicators. There are people that sometimes are confused when I'm doing coaching with young people. Uh, they might be confused about many things, but once they understand 
where do they come from, where they are at, is, is so much easier to work. So in these different types of identities, fear and condemnation, fear and not being understood or accepted, is what I mentioned that I find people, I find any, all of us, all of us fall into any of these fears uh, as a result, again, of the sins that were committed um, in the past against me, against my will, and then now I'm replicating the dynamics of home. There, there are different factors. Um, inherited, um, uh, we got different aspects here when we see habits that have been inherited and now they have been uh, taught by example at home. But many, many of these things come from our previous experience when we were just growing up, forming this formation of self in the identity. We continue, we continue to develop in our identity as we grow up. And um, the difference, and what we see this humanistic identity, uh, the dysfunctional, the characteristics, they have the following characteristics. So they, the result of this is the human, uh, the sinful human identity where fear, shame, and we'll see that in the next slide. Thank you. When we see fear, shame, hiding, and, and we could see that when the first, when Adam, the first man, sinned, immediately right after his sin, he experienced things that he didn't do before, like fear. He didn't know any fear, like shame. He hide, and that was the that was the the moment when the sinful human identity is formed out of sin. So that's why when I share these things, all of us can identify with any of these fears as part of a, hum, a human nature. In Adam's case, hiding leads to the subconscious defense mechanism of projecting an image rather than who we truly are. In his case, he hide. He hide because he really, he really wanna face the consequences. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know how to assume responsibility anymore. And then he hides. Hiding, hiding is that unconscious mechanism. It's a sinful mechanism. And now we all have that, we all have it. In these spaces, when um, there are opportunities like all these workshops, the idea is that we can see emotional indicators, how in our mind, in our hearts, all this process began. So we might come to an understanding and we will know what to surrender to God and how to surrender uh, all these all this feelings, thoughts, emotions, and acts that take us to sin. And uh, we can cooperate, especially with the Lord. Okay, when we talk about identity, we need to see the principles. And I want to share with you just a little bit because we just have such a brief time for every topic. The key insights from attachment theory, which is our next slide. So we need to speak about this because it's in bonding that identity is formed. So we, I'm going to share some of these uh, characteristics. Attachment and bonding in infancy is crucial to the formation of our identity. Mm? So there has to be a bonding. A human being has to bond to something in order to be to develop that sense of identity. Identity is formed exclusively through relationship. That's it. So when we talk about uh, humanistic uh, identity, there had to be in our lives a role where we mirror back these behaviors, thoughts, feelings, um, beliefs that form who we are. Relational difficulties result in fear, doubt, insecurity, and identity and anxiety. So the good thing about this is that we were created to develop, to form identity through relationship. And, and how can I prove that? The creation, the creation scenery give us light in regards to that. When God 
created Adam. He could have done it out of his word. And having no bonding or closing, close uh, touching of Adam, he could have said, man, you know, appears and and the most beautiful man and woman could have appeared. Well when Lord but when the Lord created Adam and you know and you know the process how it happened, he took dust out of the earth. He couldn't have done it. Christ the Lord actually was the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator, he could have said it, but he took the task of taking dust and form, you know, this this dusty uh, dough, let's call it that way, and he worked it out with his hands. It was hands to hands. It was eyes to eyes. It was, it was relationship, touching every part of his body. It was such an intimate relationship, the way human beings uh, were formed, and we are talking about Adam here specifically. And then he breathed upon his nostrils, his life. Why the Lord Jesus have to do that? Because in our DNA, and that's what he purposed himself, that through relationship, through closeness, through togetherness, through, through all this amazing um, intimacy process, Adam needed to be created so he might resemble the image of his creator and his creator could have the opportunity to resemble on him what he wanted an identity was going to be formed that keeps being so i mean that hasn't changed it's still the same but now then he led the woman to have children in her womb what an intimate connection what a close relationship having the mother and the father a different role but everything was through the relationship why am i mentioning um, this, which is such an important, such an important topic. The reality is that when we talk about receiving an identity, creating a new identity, when we realize that we might fall into the patterns of any of the, um, of any of the unhealthy humanistic identity, we need to come to the realization that unless that relationship, unless that bonding, unless this other role is in front of me, a new identity cannot be received. Why? Because human beings, we respond to that. In the formation of a new identity, we don't believe in the new age that says, okay, identity is inside of you. So you just discover it. Take the best out of you. No, that's not biblical. The Bible teaches, teaches us that is in relationship, is in bonding, is in the relationship of some out of me, someone else out of me, that, that we create that bonding is that I receive who I am. And in this case, for the biblical identity is God. And that's the invitation. That's his, that's his purpose and role, that we might discover identity in the revelation of who he is in regards to us and is in relationship again that a new identity is established. So I've been, I've been having the privilege and opportunity to work with so many young people and many young people from the LGBT. And let me tell you something, or, or with parents uh, that discover, that they just recently discovered that their kids are talking about being bisexual or um, gays, or they might be 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And when I talk to parents, and when they bring me their kids, and I talk to the kids, I know what is going to happen. I need to go back to the parents. That's, 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 that's 100% in every session, either, either it could be counseling, or, or life coaching, or mental health coaching, I need to go back to the parents. Because isn't the dynamic of home that things are happening? Even the perfect homes where everything was done correctly. But there has to be a dynamic. Plus, there are, this is multifactorial. There's, there's not only one factor. 
it's multifactorial. Today we have the influence of media, influence of friends, uh, things going on in the family. We have all this aspect of um, of generation, trust generation that we carry upon ourselves. But there has to be one point. And I always ask the young people when I'm working with them, I want to discover where and to whom do they bond to? And that's that's the amazing discovery. Um, what's the young person attracted to and the reasons why they are attracted to they are doing bonding pretty much, pretty much is not in their home where the bonding needs to happen. So then we need to go back to the parents and see the dynamics of the home and uh, help parents understand that um, in these cases that I mentioned specifically that homosexuality is a fruit, a fruit like a fruit of a tree that is just showing, showing. It's just an expression that is going on, what is going on in the roots, the roots that are not seen, the roots that are underground, and the roots that are growing, producing that fruit. But in my first workshop, I will elaborate more on that, more, more on this. So a biblical healthy identity. So we saw those patterns of unhealthy identity, humanistic identity based on fears. And out of those fears, fear of condemnation, fears of not being accepted, fears of um, performance-based identity, out of those fears, an identity established for good or for bad, even if we want to recognize it or not. Now, a biblical healthy identity. What is the contrast? How can we know? Uh, how can we receive? What is a really healthy biblical identity? And we will see uh, 10 scriptural bases for our identity. Hmm? This is based on scripture, what the word of God says, what he's offering us in his power and truth and love every day. God designed you in his image and likeness, the pinnacle of creation. I, I have to tell you a story right here. Because in, in all these concepts, we might hear them, but we cannot swallow or digest them the way we should. The way we should. When God created us in his image, this is a powerful statement. There has to be something in you that belongs to God, period. You know, what is my work? Every time I need to speak with um, any any different group in prison, with Muslim people, especially women, uh, with, L with the LGBT community, with Christians, with secular people, I myself, purpose in my heart, every time I have to speak with someone, two things. I just tell the Lord, Lord, please don't bring, if you if you are bringing people, if you are bringing responsibilities of sharing the word of God, and or if you are bringing people one-to-one, -one, don't bring them if you're not going to be there. Otherwise, I just can be home, be continue being a housewife, you know, and that's fine. I need your presence because winning the heart, winning a heart is just, it's an art piece. It's, it's just something that just God can give, gives. And the second thing I just ask the Lord is help me develop a sense of discovering uh, that characteristic of you in that person. Why? Because as we read here, God designed, and you can you can have the next slide, uh, please. God, thank you. God designed you in his image and likeness, pinnacle of creation. Let me tell you this story to see how it works and how this principle works to reach people. Once in prison, once I found we were having a group of seven women. And one woman started coming. She was, she was participating a lot in classes, asking many questions. Um, one day we were sharing about forgiveness and about the gift of God in forgiveness. 
uh, we are not allowed to ask anyone in prison, what do you do and why are you here? We're not allowed. I mean, we, we have a penalty. We ask those things. But if they openly want to share, uh, once we're studying, uh, having that Bible study, if one of the inmates, inmates wants to share, we need to listen. So this woman, after, after uh, uh, presenting the topic of forgiveness, she mentioned and said, I need help. I don't know what to do. I've been 81 times in prison. I, I thought I hadn't understood well. And I said, wait a minute, um, can you repeat again? I understood 18 times. And she said, I've been eight one times. It's 81 times in prison. And I don't want to be one more time here, 82 times. And then she goes on saying, the problem that I have is that I'm an alcoholic. The other ladies are hearing, we are hearing. She's telling us, what can I do? I don't want to be 82 times in prison. And I just asked her, what do you want to share? And she said, I've been all this time in prison because I'm an alcoholic. And I don't know what to do. You guys tell me, how can I do? Can you imagine you're giving a Bible study, you're teaching about forgiveness, and then she comes with a real a real situation in life. When I asked her, uh, can you share a little bit more? She said, when I was 11 years old, my father was my everything. He was my hero. I was a girl's daddy's girl. And I just remember my life was perfect. But one day he committed suicide and he died. And my everything was buried with him. One week later, after he died, I was crying and crying. I didn't go to school. She never mentioned her mother. So it, it seems that the mother was not living with her. And she said, one week after his death, somebody told me, you are going through a lot of pain. And here, I'm going to give you something. will help you deal with the pain. And they handed out alcohol to an 11-year-old girl. She said, She's telling her story and she said, since that time, I just remember myself being drunk. I'm 47 years old now. And everything about I remember afterwards is being drunk, is um, having problems with the police all the time, with the different men I've been having in my life. I've been homeless. So what can I do? I've been doing, I had children. Um, I'm in prison pretty much most of the time, so I'm the worst mother. I just drinking all the time. I don't have a job. I'm hopeless, homeless. So you guys are going to tell me, what can I do? Can you imagine? So in that moment, I just, I just asked this short prayer, Lord, help us here. You cannot, you needed to give something to her that could have any meaning for her in that moment. So I was just I was just praying and I started talking and I didn't know what to say specifically to that. Suddenly, suddenly a thought came to my mind that I didn't realize it until I was saying it. So I know the Lord impressed this in my mind. And I just and I just told her, You don't see anything good in you, right? She said nothing. Nothing. And actually, I forgot to mention, every prayer, every Bible study we had, she always had a prayer petition. And it's, Lord, give me patience to deal with these um, guards here in prison and with some people in my dorm. And she was always fighting. She, had, she, was, she was a fighter. So she said, no, I don't find anything good in myself. I don't have any purpose in life. I just go out and I know I'm going to mess it up again, but I don't want to be 82 times in prison. So I just told her, you don't find anything good. She said, no. I said, but there is something nobody can take away from you. Nobody can take away from you. And that's exactly the one thing. You can start a new life. And she said, tell me what it is because I have no idea. And then we have the opportunity to share the Bible verse that we said that we were created in the image of God. And I, and I shared with her, you were created in the image of God. 
And even though you have no idea how to, how to make up your life again, there is one fact that nobody can take away from you, that you is to resemble his image. And you are still her, his daughter. And you were created in his image. As, as you were created in his image, there is something of God in you that nobody can take away. You know what she did? She started crying and she started crying and crying. And the other inmates uh, were just, you know, holding her, holding her. And she said, how can I find what is this thing that I have of God in me? And I said, you need to continue to Bible studies because every truth about God, you have an earnest desire to get to know God. He will show you specifically which thing is still you have about God, but you need to come because the faith and the hope come from hearing and hearing the word of God. We have faithfully have heard every every Bible class and she started believing and she went out and she told people there is something of God in me that even I don't know what that is, is there and not the devil, not even the devil can take that away from me. She didn't know what it was, but she had hope. She came to every single class and uh, this was another prison because I work in, uh, in a jail. She was in that jail and it was time for her to leave jail. She contacted me. And we have the opportunity to meet out of prison. And, uh, and then we'll continue having Bible studies. Continue having Bible studies. She still has a story to tell. But what I can say is this just fact that God designed you in his image and likeness. And we were the pinnacle of creation. Brings people, gives hope to people. And then, and then my work and your work. As, as people who really want to help connect others with the Lord is to find what is that of God that is still is in us that not even the devil can take away. That's what I pray every time I need to hear with a young person, with an older person. And when the Lord helped me find was this that characteristic in that person from that point, the Lord can elaborate and can have a different base to reveal a new identity. And in this case, it was really, really helpful. We were very connected with her. We developed a friendship. And it was so good to see for her and to realize the talents that God has given her, the forgiveness that she could accept, the opportunity that God was giving her. So I just mentioned this story because it's so powerful. Just that statement can help us. We can see now in the next slide, second aspect, God will always love you unconditionally. That gives a biblical healthy identity. God will always love me unconditionally. So yes, we fail. Yes, there has to be victory, but it works not from the point that I need to do everything perfect so God will love me unconditionally. It doesn't work that way. It's very unhealthy, and that will take us to a perform-based identity. But here is, no matter what I do, no matter if I mess it up or not, God loves me. That gives a message because out of that recognition, out of that acceptance, is that I can come to God with no fears and can establish a relationship with him. And that's the key point. That's the key point where the Lord really wants to meet us, to develop to, to reveal his identity. If we believe that even when we are doing everything right or when we fail, his love doesn't change. I don't need to do things to earn his love. That's powerful. That gives us a sense of a healthy identity. The third aspect, the third aspect, God is always with you. Oh, this one is just key. When I'm working with young people, they said even... Um, Adventist Christian people, uh, this um, for even students of theology and tempted with uh, pornography and all these things. Always I hear this. Oh, I was having this good week with the Lord and we were very close, but I messed it up again. And uh, I just feel God so far away from me because I feel so bad. I feel uh, that I'm that I'm not doing good, that I'm just, uh, you know, that I'm just being hypocritical. 
and I believe I don't feel God by my side. No. What is what a biblical healthy identity is developed? How? When we believe that God is always with us. When we sin, he doesn't go away from us. When we sin, he's there. The, the most beautiful connection, and we see it in the example of Jesus Christ, and we will see it at the end. In, in the workshops, in this in this afternoon presentation. So remember, we will elaborate in each one of these aspects is to see that the most deep, the deeper bound, bond that Jesus developed with us is not in the, it's not in the blessings. It's actually in the sufferings and in the temptations. In those moments is where Jesus developed a very, very close bond with us. And we will see that's why he died going through suffering so he may identify with each one of us. And we can see it at the cross when Jesus became sin in itself, sin. God could not stand in his presence. So God's presence was veiled at the cross, was veiled at the cross. But, but God was there anyway, even though he was taking our place, even though God cannot be in the presence and not be in the presence of sin, he veiled his presence, but he's there representing that he's going to be with his son. And in that representation, he's going to be with us. So God never abandoned us, even when we fall, even when we sin. That makes a difference when you are going through trials and this this truth about God come and, and, and give us a different message. That creates a different identity. The fourth aspect of a biblical healthy identity, God will always forgive you when you ask. And this afternoon, we will continue seeing how the cycle of sinning and asking for forgiveness, sinning and asking for forgiveness can be changed for relationship closeness and ministry and being free and but the lord always every time you come and ask for forgiveness that's part of who he is in his identity he cannot lie in his identity he has demonstrated us he has given enough proof that every time we come to him asking for forgiveness he's there now what we need to see is if we only bring the fruit of our forgiveness only the fruit but if the root is there, the fruit will, will always be bad. And we'll always bring the bad fruit, always bringing, bringing the bad fruit. But we have no idea what is in the root. God is calling us to bring root and fruit to his presence. Not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us for it. So that gives hope, knowing that every time we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us. How many times? You know how many times. But that gives a different perspective of who God is and the way he deals with us. Now, the following aspect, number five, God does not condemn you. How a healthy identity is formed in relationship, in the way we develop closeness, togetherness with the other one. And here... God is telling us, I don't condemn you. Oh, the representation and thanks God for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and shows us how he dealt with humanity. And, and we see when he dealt with the uh, Samaritan woman, when he dealt with the woman taken in uh, adultery, when we see him dealing in all these cases, he didn't have a word to condemn. We human beings with the unhealthy identity, we are so prompt to condemn. We are so prompt to label people. But in his essence, he doesn't do it. Being the judge, being the, um, the king of the universe, and he doesn't do it. That's not the way he deals with sin when he's restoring his image in us. It will come a moment in the judgment, in the judgment day, in the day of the Lord, when he will judge the whole earth, every human being. But now his work is his work of redemption. His work of showing himself as a helper, as a mighty, as a mighty uh, brother, as identifying with us and telling us and giving us a different message. That's the way that identity is formed, getting to know 
this truth in a practical level. Uh, we will see number six. Sixth aspect, how a biblical identity is uh, received. God has miraculously transformed you into a new creation. I don't know what is most difficult. If, and as we can see in 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, give us a powerful message. And the power uh, of that message is that saying that he who made him be seen, it's talking about God who made Jesus be seen, not carry seen, but be seen, so we can be transferred into righteousness. I don't know what is most difficult, that if a holy one, an innocent one, a pure one, can become sin in his essence, be sin, or that a sinful one, polluted, dirty, can become clean, can become pure, can become uh, innocent again. I don't know which way is more difficult, but both of them were target. The most too difficult things was to make Jesus Christ the innocent one, the one who became sin, for us sin to become clean. That was a work that only God can do. Only God can do. That transformation only God can do and can be transferred in the merits of Jesus Christ to our lives. Oh, sounds too good to be true. And people said, oh, that's cheap grace. I don't have to do anything. I just, just wait for the day of the Lord and I'll become new. So it has to be, there, there is a work to do. Yes, there is a work to do. But in that work, the relationship between us and God and in, in the name of his son and through the Holy Spirit can be so close, so close that you can see yourself being carried by him as the testimony or of our this dear sister uh, before this presentation, she she can have she, I could see light in her eyes when she says, "I feel free, God is with me. I just experience peace, and that is possible through that transformation, a new creation, a new identity given through relationship that cannot fail. That cannot fail. Uh, the next aspect we'll see number seven. God has marvelous and marvelous plan for your life. Oh, when God reveals identity, immediately that comes together, identity and life purpose. There has to be a place for you to do in his mighty work. God created us in activity. God wants the man to be active, productive, happy, because that gives happiness. So the, the wonderful thing of of God recreating an identity in, it, in us is that he also reveals a life purpose. I talked to so many young people and they said, I don't know what I'm good for. I don't know what I want. I don't have any motivation to do anything in life. I don't know. I don't know. And, and the common answer is, what do you want to do with your life? I don't know. Uh, tell me something you like to do. I don't know. You know, so... That's, that's, that's an amazing revelation, how God has a marvelous plan for your life. Hmm? So that discovery, that discovery gives us true purpose, value, identity, and sense of life. The eighth aspect hmm, is God knows and is greater than your pain. He knows your pain. He can identify with us in our pain. He lived our pain. And, uh, but he knows that pain and he can go through that pain so he can take you out of that pain. But that pain creates the most wonderful opportunity to recreate a new creature. And through that creature, he can bless others. So pain has a purpose. Suffering has a purpose. I remember once speaking with a girl and she was devastated for so many, so many trials that happened to her in Colombia. I'm from Colombia, South America. And all this social violence that we have for so many years affected a lot of Adventist people. And this girl was really having a hard time understanding why God allowed pain in her life. If they were committed, a committed missionary family, her mother was raped. They have to flee. I mean, they have to escape 
from the farm uh, twice because gorillas will come and destroy everything. So they have to escape. And, um, and then her mother is raped. And when you hear these cases, there are some cases that you just see, Lord, so much to bear. And uh, her father became blind. And now the mother and the girls, three girls, are just trying to survive. And they are just saying, where are you, God? So many difficult situations, so many difficult situations. And she comes to me saying, tell me, what is the purpose to continue following God? Has been 15 years since I'm 10 years suffering and seeing more and seeing. And we, and my parents are such a um, faithful, committed Christians. What would you say? What would you say? Hmm? This principle that God knows and is greater than your pain is, is something that when we experience in our lives, then we have the hope that helps us to help other people. And in her case, uh, I, 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 I won't go ahead of myself telling you what I shared with her, but she could understand the purpose of suffering, but I will I will share with you when we see how to identify with Jesus and give root and fruit and his purpose in identified with human pain. I will I will remember to tell you the story so you can understand then um, her reaction and and you can understand the choices that she made after identity uh, understanding this principle that gives her now a rooted identity in God, understanding just this aspect, God knows and is greater than your pain. Okay, so we can see here, not, uh, aspect number nine, God is stronger than your adversary. Remember, all these aspects of God should give us a different message in our daily living for us to receive a healthy identity, godly, biblical, healthy identity. God is stronger than your adversary. You lose track of this when you are living in pain. You lose track of it when you are suffering. You lose track of it when you see yourself failing and failing and failing because ourselves is placed in the center. When when we think, what we feel, what we experience becomes everything you see. But the reality Remember, we lose track of reality. But the reality is that God is stronger than your adversary. Anything you might struggle with, God is stronger than that. No sin can stop God doing what he wants. No sin will stop God having the control of your life. Everything that he said is going to happen. Prophecies are going to be fulfilled. He will come. Everything. When we believe that God is stronger that the things that you are fighting inside, that your arbitrary, then a new identity is received. Why? Because a new vision comes to you and then you can have hope to continue believing that is possible. And number 10, God is comforting, compassionate, merciful, gracious, and redemptive. Sometimes we have a very different view of God that he's, that, that he's loving, but if I do it, he will go away. That if he, he can punish me, he's going to tell me, okay, receive what you have done. Here it is. Mm-hmm. And these are all the consequences of the, cho- the choices we make every day might bring us to this point. What is God is comforting, compassionate, merciful, gracious, and redemptive. And that's the reason why even negative things that happen to us can be in his control for a lesson, for a purpose. When he's compassionate, merciful, and gracious, and redemptive, that means that he's going with us through that pain. There is an amazing book of David Asherick, uh, whose title is, and I love the title, just with the title I read the book, God in Pain. Because we need to understand that that compassion, that gracious of God, that redemption, that mercy that he extends to us is just because he shares the pain. He takes the suffering. Those sins that were committed against our will were done to him. And in the reality, 
when we are aware of that reality, that's why it's important that we understand who he is, because we find ourselves then where we are, who we are. Uh, when we, when he takes and, and he can come with us in that suffering, then we understand his power. Then we understand that his pain is so precious, has so much uh, value. And what is on the others, uh, what is at the end for us? It's just, it's, it's powerful. So these are the characteristics. And let me tell you that this is not about self-worth, but God-worth, okay? Receiving a new identity, and we can see the next slide, is not about self-worth. It's not about center our, centering ourselves in the middle, just having this compassion, compassionate God doing what we want. No, it's not about self-worth. It's not about placing us in the center. All this biblical identity is God's worth. God's definition of who we are should fuel our thoughts and create behavior. Know who we are, but whose we are. That's, that's the beautiful point. It's not about who I believe I am. It's about whose we are. Because there's not one person. Identity cannot be created only from one. It has to be in relationship. And when we are talking about biblical healthy identity, it's just a symbol of who he is in us. And um, so the result, what will be the result of believing, of believing this in every moment, of believing that every time, you are faced with crisis, with failures, with difficulties, with pain, with sickness. What would be the result of a biblical healthy identity? Unconditional love of God? Sacrificial atonement of Christ? Indwelling guidance of the Holy Spirit? And the truth would set you free. So I just pray that as we elaborate in the workshops, in every aspect with with stories, with practical examples, with with practical things, we could really, really, after uh, this coming out um, ministry, um, I said can meeting, it's not a can meeting, it's online uh, presentations, we may get to know better God and what is our position in regards to him, what is our identity in regards to him, because all of us are connected in humanity. All of us, all of us are touched with the, with the results of sin. But at the same time, all of us have the capacity as created in the image of God to experience God in the biblical way. And that's actually the reason why we are in this time of grace to receive that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is possible. So regardless where you are at now, the things that you are struggling at now, you need to know, you need to cooperate with God, and you need to be aware. You need to be aware for neuroplasticity to take place. Neuroplasticity is the capacity of the brain to change. Our organ, our brain, was created with the capacity to change. But for neuroplasticity to take place, which is a promise in the Bible, I will give you a new heart, I will give you a new mind, you need to cooperate with God. And sometimes it's not that people are evil or these evil tendencies that discourage us so much. I'm so bad. Sometimes that's what I hear all the time. No, it's that, it's that we don't know how to cooperate with God. And then we need to be focused. We need to pray attention because that's the way a brain can be transformed and a new identity can be received when we are focused, when we are, have our attention placed on who God is. So we might cooperate with him in the amazing work that wants to do for you now, that is to receive a biblical, healthy identity. So take courage, take hope, and, um, and just be in the attitude of receiving from God. Uh, he wants to lift up your hands, your heads, your hearts, your hands with his presence and his reality. So let yourself believe. Let yourself be taken into his presence. So once you are there, you can receive the fullness of the Spirit of the Lord. So uh, this is the end of this presentation right now. And I just invite you 
to the workshop so we can go in detail, elaborating more about how to receive life identity, life purpose, identity, and connection for a biblical healthy identity. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.